When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, Holly. Hey, Dave. Welcome back to the What Difference Does It Make podcast and part two of our interview with Chris Franz, author of the brand new book, Remain in Love, Talking Heads, Tom Tom Club, Tina. It's subtitled. <laughs> yes, and we talk all those things. We're going to talk more about Talking Heads, Tom Tom Club, and Tina. We get further into uh, our discussion. It's a great talk, and uh, Chris is, uh, is, is really wonderful. So uh, let's get right into it. Just, I want to ask you one question about the name on the topic. You made one reference in the book to the talking heads. Oh, yeah, because some people say that. And I've I've seen people on the talking heads message board actually arguing about, is it talking (laughs) heads or is it the talking heads? And actually, we don't care what you say as long as you say, Talking heads. No, <laughs> it's okay to put the the in front if you want to. Uh, okay, because it, it was a single reference in the book, and you 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 called yourself out on it. You said, "Yes, I said the talking heads," and yeah. I couldn't figure out. I was I I wondered oh. because I know it is talking heads. <laughs> it's so silly. I mean, it doesn't matter. But I, I've actually seen people arguing about it. <laughs> All about cool. the details. So your first show at CBGB's, was, as you say in the book, was May of 1975, and you wrote down the set list. It is basically your first two albums, which is insane. Yeah, I mean, that was – and you were a trio at this point. Obviously, uh, I guess you get a contract. <laughs> Before the end of the year, you have, you're offered a record contract. Mm-hmm. That's pretty, yes. That's, that's crazy. And yet, what happens when you get this contract? What do you do? Well, we, uh, Seymour Stein of, of Sire Records, uh, saw us play at CBGB's and he, he was, uh, he, he really liked us. And so he want, he offered us a record deal on the spot. <laughs> and, uh, we, we said, Seymour, now's not the right time. Let's talk tomorrow. And so, uh, he came down to our loft on Christie Street and he met with us and, and he said, you know, I want, I want you to make a record. It's, I love your band. And, and um, we said, well, that's very nice, Seymour, but we're not ready to make a record yet, <laughs> which, which made him really nervous. <laughs> he, he spent the, the, the entire, we made him wait for 18 months. 
and um, until we felt like we were ready because we had made a few demos, uh, little, you know, demos that you record very quickly. And we, we had listened to them and we said, we're not ready to make a record yet. You know, it's one thing to, to put on a show at CBGB's and to, you know, rock the house there. But it's another thing to make a 12-inch record that a person is supposed to listen to over and over again, you know. So we held off. But when we said we were ready now, when we said, Seymour, we're ready now, I think he got us in the lawyer's office the next day. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. For You were 24 at the time, struggling. Mm-hmm. How much were you paying in your loft, by the way? <laughs> I, I, How much was obtained for my loft? <laughs> yeah. Uh, $289 a month. Brilliant. Brilliant. Love it. So, but you're still, you know, you're, you're, it's tough and it's tough for if someone's throwing, ready to throw money your way and you're 24 and living where you're living to say, no, I don't want this yet. We're not ready. And this was a band decision, right? This was everyone agreed. Yes. Yes. We, we all agreed on that. And, and it was because we, we really weren't ready. You know, we, we needed to polish our stage craft. We needed to get our sound together. And, and we, we were, we had been a trio. We were doing very well as a trio, but we felt like we, we really should have another musician, like a keyboard player or maybe somebody who could play keyboards and guitar to add new textures to the songs and, and make, make them more beautiful. Yeah. You know? However, you, you get to make this record, but your producer, Tony Biangiovi, um, yeah. uh, you didn't necessarily agree with his direction or what was going on with this as you're in the studio. You weren't happy. Uh, or tell me, tell us the story of, of Tony and, the t- and Talking Heads. Sure. Well, Tony had some kind of deal with Seymour Stein or vice versa. I, I don't know, but Tony had produced a, a uh, the second Ramones album and Seymour suggested that he do ours, and we th- we didn't really know any other producers, so we said okay. And uh, he he was uh, a hit producer. He had you probably remember "Never Can Say Goodbye" by mm-hmm. Gloria Gaynor, which was uh, one of the you know biggest disco hits of all time. Mm-hmm. I mean, worldwide. And he also produced Donna Summer. And uh, when we were working with him, he had a number one hit with. Disco Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> huge Mi- hit. Miko. Yeah, it was that huge. It was a huge hit. It was number one. So he was used to, he was a very talented engineer, but he was not a real people person. But he was used, he was used to working with very slick studio cats and singers that were very, uh, you know, accomplished, like Donna Summer or Gloria Gaynor. He wasn't a bad guy or anything. He just he just wasn't the right person for us. But fortunately, the uh, engineer Ed Stasium, who went on to work with many great artists, Ed was really good, and he he was like the secret weapon. And uh, sometimes Tony would just leave because Tony was building this big studio called the Power Station. Mm-hmm. Probably heard of that, of course. And, uh, across the street from Studio 54, I think it was. Tony Tony w- was um, a bit of a nut. His nephew was t- uh, John Bon Jovi. Right. So some of these songs, I, I mean, I guess um, I, I was listening a little bit uh, on some songs that didn't make it. There, there was like 
they he he liked to add horn. Was that his idea to add horns to some of your your early songs? I I believe it was David's idea to add horns oh, really? to like Ghost of Building on Fire. Yeah, David loves the horns, <laughs> and I like them too. I mean, I I I like the idea on that song because I thought, oh, it'll make it sound like a Stax record, right? No, it didn't sound like a Stax record. It sounded <laughs> like Talking Heads with horns. <laughs> Were you playing the steel drums and uh, that? Um, was it the first song on the album? Love has come to town. Yeah. yeah. Is that- uh, uh, no, I did not play that part, and I'm embarrassed to admit I, I can't remember who who did. It wasn't a member of our band. It was a uh, a steel drum player. I always thought that was it was weird. Like, here's this punk band or this new, and all of a sudden, <laughs> in comes the steel yeah. drums. I was, I, that was that kind of set the table for this band is not your ordinary band. This is something you can't really categorize them. Yeah, you thought you knew, and then you know you were just thrown <laughs> for a loop. So then you moved on to producers. You moved on to you. You eventually connected with Brian Eno. Yes, we met Brian in London. Our first performance in London. He came with John Cale, and uh, we had lunch with him the next day and uh, had a good conversation. And then I think the following day we went over to his apartment and chatted further, and, and, and we pretty much all, we all agreed that he would be a good, good person to produce us because we, we were fans of his, uh, his records. We were especially excited by what he is most recent work with David Bowie mm-hmm. and like Heroes and the Low album. He told us he was going to be producing Devo. Oh, that's cool. We like Devo. <laughs> and um, we went down to the Bahamas. Chris Blackwell of Island Records had a new studio down there and he invited us down, gave us a good rate. <laughs> and everybody was happy to go there and uh and we recorded our second album there with Brian behind the console. So this became that, kind of became your second home. And do you yeah. feel like the Bahamas are your are is also home for you? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, one of our 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 son Robin was born there yeah. in 1982. One of the things we did was we traded a, a little piece of real estate, a, a condominium, I guess you could call it in exchange for making a record for Chris Blackwell. And instead of the advance in cash, we took um, some real estate instead. So we still have a little place down there. We love to go there. We really enjoyed your vivid descriptions of the Bahamas and of living there and of just the sites and the surroundings. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you, you. You name every building, right? So where do you live? <laughs> Our, ours is called Tip Top. That's the name of the building, and, and the actual apartment is called the Tom Tom Club. <laughs> oh, that, oh, I've heard of that before. Uh, yeah. Okay, let's stop right here, take a break. We're enjoying ourselves with Chris Franz, author of Remain in Love, and uh, we will be right back. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Today's What Difference Does It Make podcast is brought to you by Audible. Have you tried any Audible audiobooks lately, Dave? Yeah, I do love the Audible books. It's uh, something I go to all the time. As a matter of fact, I kind of out of ideas. What, uh, what, what do you think I would like? Okay, I have one for you here. I have one. I know you like Rob Sheffield, right? I do. Love him. What do you got? How about The Wild Heart of Stevie Nicks? I know he's a huge Stevie Nicks fan, and I think I would really, really, really enjoy that. That's a good choice. I will go to audibletrial.com backslash WDDIM podcast and get my free book if I wasn't already an Audible subscriber. But since if you're listening, you are not an Audible subscriber. You go to audibletrial.com backslash WDDIM podcast and you can download your first free audiobook. Do it now. Welcome back to the What Difference Does It Make podcast and part two of our interview with Chris Franz. Let's talk Tom Tom Club because, all right, so the first thing that surprised me in your book is after Remain in Light, not that David and Jerry got solo deals, I, I guess that, was, that wasn't too surprising, but you mentioned that you had only $2,000 in the bank after one of your biggest albums and you toured and all this. What's going on? What it was was um, the, the, uh, the, the expanded lineup of the band, you know, having nine people on stage and a crew of about the same size and airplane tickets for everybody and hotel rooms for everybody. It adds up, you know. Yeah. So at the end of that tour, I mean, it was a very successful tour and super exciting. Everywhere we went, it was packed and the accolades were just pouring in, but it didn't make any money. And in fact, we might have even lost a little money. <laughs> well, well, back then, tours were just seen as promotional for the for the album. Yeah, yeah. you weren't supposed to make money, I guess. <laughs> and obviously, yeah. that yeah. was indeed the case. Yeah. And uh, Remain in Light did, did not sell a whole lot of copies either. It was not one of our biggest selling albums. Eventually, yes. But when it first came out, pe people, rock music stations said, oh, this is, this sounds too much like black music. And the black music station says, oh, this sounds too much like white music. So, so we were not getting the airplay that we, we had on Fear of Music. But that's cool. <laughs> we came back. 
<laughs> so you create you created something that again appealed to both white and black all, all audiences. Tom Tom yeah. Club is was quite a quite an accomplishment. Who came up with the the idea of like you know did you go to Tina like we we got to do something or is Tina grooving on something and you picked up on it or how how did this all come to fruition? We knew we had to do something. Because who knows how long David and Jerry were going to be busy with their solo projects. So uh, our manager uh, spoke with Chris Blackwell at Island Records. And Chris Blackwell said, I understand the value of a good rhythm section. Why don't you have Chris and Tina come down to Compass Point and make us cut a single, make a 45 single. And if I like it, then they can do a whole album. So we said, great, we love that idea. And we, we went down to uh, Compass Point, and the original producer was supposed to be Lee Perry, you know, Lee Scratch, Scratch Perry, Perry that yeah. produced the Whalers and Police and Thieves for Junior Mervin and lo- lots mm-hmm. of great reggae songs. We met with, with Lee Perry in New York, and, and he said, yeah, man, me can do it. <laughs> and uh, uh, so we, we sent all our, our gear down to the Bahamas. We went down there ourselves, and we booked the studio, and we're waiting, and Lee Perry just didn't show up. And after two weeks, our manager finally got him on the phone and said, Scratch, what's up, man? Chris and Tina have been waiting for two weeks. And, and he said, oh, it's about the money. And, and uh, <laughs> our manager said, oh, well, what do you want? And Scratch said, I need $1,000 an hour. And uh, our manager said, well, that sounds kind of expensive. Are you trying to price yourself out of this gig? <laughs> and Lee Perry said, no, man, no problem. We make the album in six hours. <laughs> So we know we knew we were sort of barking up the wrong tree there, and Tina said there was a young guy there that we had worked with on uh, "Remain in Light." In fact, he had, he had recorded the basic tracks for "Once in a Lifetime." Stephen Stanley was his name, and he's only like twenty-one from Jamaica and an excellent engineer. And she said, "Well, why don't we just do it with Stevie?" And uh, see how that goes. And Chris Blackwell said, great idea. And so we went in with Stevie and we cut this song called Wordy Rapping Hood, mm-hmm. which uh, went to top 10 in seven countries in Europe and all over Latin America and the UK. And so uh, Chris Blackwell was very happy. <laughs> and he said, now you can do a whole album. <laughs> and so the next thing we cut was called Genius of Love, which hit very big in the United States. Yeah. You're telling yeah. Me. yeah. That's great. And, and as we mentioned, it crossed over to, to all audiences. You even got to play Soul Train. Yeah. Yeah. We played Soul Train. It's so wild. That was like a dream come true for me and Tina. Because we used to, when we were young lovers, we used to watch Soul Train on Saturday mornings on TV. So great. And then we got the call and we were, we were actually in Los Angeles shooting stop making sense. Right. So in the morning we did soul train and then evening we did stop making sense at the Pantages. It was a busy day, busy day. day. (laughs) I just watched stop making sense. And actually I was listening to the, uh, to the commentary track. That was kind of fun. But, um, 
But what Tina's remark during the Tom Tom Club part is um, was like was just how exhausted you looked because it was making stop making sense. I you know obviously it wasn't just an hour and a half show. It was a little you know you played longer and yeah and then yeah, yeah so it's you know, you're you're behind the kit for most of, most of the time and it's uh, yeah it's quite an ordeal. Yeah, for the so, film, it was recorded over four four days, right? I thought it was only three. It was but, it was three days, according to the commentary okay. I heard. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but some pe- I've noticed some people say four, but maybe there was one day that uh, just the camera crew um, blocked things out or something. Maybe we had to rent the theater for four days or something. Was that a collaborative production, or was that David's uh, con- conception? I guess you could say it was primarily David's conception. He he um, had designed this show along with the woman who designed shows for Robert Wilson, or one of the women who does that. And um, are you familiar with Robert Wilson oh, yeah. uh, Avant Garde yeah. Theater? And uh, it was a good it was a good place to uh, good place to get ideas from, but. What was great about that movie, Stop Making Sense, is not just the band. The band was fantastic. I mean, let's face it, amazing. Mm -hmm. But the camera crew, the director of photography, uh, Jonathan Demme himself, uh, everybody, everybody we worked with on that, the editing, the editor was named Lisa Day, did a fantastic job. And, you know, some of the best editors are women. In fact, many of them. <laughs> so anyway, uh, every everybody was like, everybody involved in the production of that just did a, such a good job. And it all just came together kind of perfect. One other thing on the commentary track is that um, the first day you had, there were in the film, there's no, not a lot of audience shots. But I think on the first day, you try to get audience shots, you put the hot lights on the audience members and they weren't, they were getting exhausted and there wasn't as much, so there wasn't as much yeah. energy the first night. And I think you guys panicked a little or what was, can you tell us about well, what was going on? If you, if you want to get an audience to sit down, put a bright light on them. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it just doesn't work. I mean, I always hate it when they, when they, you know, you go to shows today and they, they put a spotlight out into the audience and I hate that. But, yeah. but, uh, you know, what, what am I going to do? <laughs> Talk about collaboration. You seemed your uh, kind of a theme throughout the book for me, at least my observation was that you, you always seem to be trying to keep the peace. Ah, yeah. Um, do you feel like that was your role? I, I guess sometimes, not all the time, but, but maybe sometimes. I know Jerry has, has told people in interviews and stuff that, that he was the diplomat of the band, but, I mean, maybe he was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it seemed like you were you you went to great lengths though to keep peace, and and Tina also is again just a, some of my observations. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we 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 loved the band, and we we loved what we were doing, and we wanted to keep it keep it together. Was that stop making sense? Your last waltz. I mean, did I don't think Talking Heads <laughs> went on tour again after that. We didn't do any tours. And- after the movie came out, but before the movie actually was released, we did a, our last tour was a tour of Australia and New Zealand, some big festivals. And 
they were they were really great, really fun, but it was kind of sad because we had a feeling it might be the last time because da- David was making noises about okay. he didn't want to tour anymore, you did that have- the movie would tour for us. <laughs> so you did get a sense of that. Yeah, you see, um, you mentioned that how upset, I mean, were you upset, say it's the 35th anniversary of Live Aid, were you upset that Talking Heads were not there? Well, not so much upset, but just uh, it would have been it would have been cool had we been able to do that. You know, that was a big day in the music business, and we we were not there. <laughs> yeah, your your book comes out. Is it similar to a record being released? Yes, it's very similar. It's you know in this this uh, self isolating world we're living in, it's kind of weird. You know, everything's different because usually there's a lot of, you know, shaking hands and hugging and even a little kissing, you know, but uh, not not this time. (laughs) Probably never again, sadly. Yeah, Yeah, I I think it'll come back. I think it'll come back. I hope so. And you also hinted uh, Tina might be coming out with a memoir. Is that is she working on something? She is in the early days, very early days, but I. I'm pretty sure she's going to do it. Yeah. Hopefully she portrays you as lovely as you portrayed her in the book. I really, you really get through the book, the feeling that you have for her. And that's a nice long marriage. It's inspiring. Yes, it is. And um, what can I say? I'm a very lucky guy. Health wise. You're good. I I heard this one podcast. You're doing it. (laughs) Yes. I I had a, um, I had a little hiccup with my heart, but I'm good. <laughs> I, I had a checkup yesterday, and my cardiologist said, "You know, Chris, you've made me a very happy man. This is a perfect EKG." So, <laughs> so there you go. We're, there you go. We're good. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, yes, thank you. And again, thank you. It was again, a great pleasure. Again, remain in love. Holly and Dave, nice Yay! to meet you all. Nice to meet you. Remain, Very nice to meet you too. Remain in love and uh, everyone can get it. It's uh, it's a wonderful read. If you love the Talking Heads, this is going to be, uh, it's a real treat. So thank you so much, Chris. Thanks for joining us. And we look forward to, to hearing more from you in the, in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Chris. Take care. You bet. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Chris Franz, everybody. <laughs> That was great. That was super fun. Yes. Don't forget to follow us. Uh, you can go to the WDDIMpodcast.com, sign up for our newsletter, and uh, also social media, right? Oh, social media. You can find us everywhere these days on uh, Facebook at What Difference Does It Make, on Instagram at WDDIM Podcast, on Twitter, WDDIM Podcast. Give us reviews. We love the five stars. We love any <laughs> comments you can give us. So We love ideas, too. Yes, give us some ideas. Who knows? We might uh, we might put you on the podcast. <laughs> Until next time, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. 
and why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.